This is Focal Point, the podcast where we discuss the artists, themes, and processes that define and sometimes disrupt the world of contemporary photography. My name is Kristen Taylor, and I am curator of academic programs and collections at the Museum of Contemporary Photography at Columbia College, Chicago. Today, I am joined by guests Shannon Bull and Tara Kranick. Shannon Bull is an artist based in Berlin who works in large-scale woven tapestries, paintings, sculpture, and photograms to unpack dominant narratives in the histories of art and architecture. Bull tackles celebrated modernist architects to reveal what might be hidden from discourse on these heroes. She draws attention to repressed influences on their practices that often involve the subduing of women. Tara Kranick is an artist based in Eugene, Oregon and Los Angeles, who works in photography, performance, and poetry to reveal tropes and how the female body is portrayed throughout the history of photography. For her Master Rituals project, she uses her own body to recreate a series of images of nude women made by Edward Weston in the 1920s and 30s. Kranick expands the frame where Weston cropped out the identities of women and additionally reveals the camera shutter release in her hand. Asserting herself as both the maker and the model, and questioning gendered power dynamics in portraiture. Shannon and Tara were both featured in the MOCP exhibitions One to One and Refracting Histories, which were on view in early 2023. So, welcome both of you, and thank you for being here today with us. Can you start by just introducing yourselves and tell us what you chose to talk about today from the permanent collection? Sure, maybe I'll start. Um, my name is Shannon Boole, and I'm an artist, Canadian artist. I live in Berlin, and I currently have an exhibition at the MOCP Museum. And I was very happy to see that you have a Jan Gruber piece um, from 1991, untitled number 1308. So I got really excited when I saw it, and that's what I'll be talking about today. My name's Tara Krynak, and <clears throat> I've chosen a Harry Callahan photograph from 1949 called Eleanor Chicago. And just to get started, I'm curious why you both chose these objects in our collection and what you see in these two prints that, that maybe relates to your own practice. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big Jan Gruber fan, and she was recently... She had a few institutional shows in, in Germany where she wasn't so well known. She was picked up by a, a dealer called Klems in Berlin. She had a solo show at a museum called the GAK in Bremen. And I was asked to do a lecture about the exhibition because I know the curator. And she thought that I would be able to have a good entry point into the work. And that was in 2017. And I kind of took a deep dive into her um, kind of the trajectory of her making art. And she's, I guess the connection to me is very on a visual level or a content level, it's somehow not so obvious, um, but she's an artist who's, who comes from painting. I also come from painting and she has an extremely concentrated without compromise way of working over a long period of time. So maybe I would say I'm, I just was a fan and, and maybe a bit jealous of her level of concentration <laughs> on one thing over so many years that had slight shifts, but it, it's a, a model of someone who sees very precisely and, and her, her intellect is based on, on visuality and, and the development of space. And so for me, it, it just became an important, important position to look at. Um, and also when I'm teaching, I often, I, I speak about her work with my students and I'm a painting professor. I think that there's, there's a lot in her work that corresponds just to very complex phenomenological questions of spatiality and um, subjectivity. So I, I think it's a really important artist. And of course, so a kind of half discovered female artist. I mean, she did have a retrospective of the MoMA and she had, um, she had really great exhibitions when she was living, but um, she wasn't 
extremely famous or her name isn't a name that a lot of artists are super familiar with now. So I think it's important to, to always uh, direct the public to these kind of artists who are just so important in their approach and what they bring to a medium. Yeah, I, I really loved that you chose this one because I feel like it's one that we talk about a lot as a teaching museum about the still life and those references to painters. But I feel like nobody ever knows who she is when we, when we take it out of the collection. So it's really exciting to mm -hmm. have this platform to talk about her as well. And Tara, I can already imagine some connections that you're seeing with Harry Callahan. <laughs> I would love to hear you talk about them. And I will bring up my screen so that you can. Well, I've always loved this series of work. And I was trying to choose some kind of um, let's see, I went through so many choices and I landed on Callahan because it's a modernist photographer. And, you know, a lot of people want me to talk about Weston, but I, I do, I don't think my Weston work is about Weston. <laughs> I think it's more about, um, the genesis of the modern photograph and the, uh, woman's body, the woman's new body as, as it appears in these modern photographs. And I think um, Harry Callahan's Eleanor series, there's a lot there in terms of how he was photographing her over the many years that he photographed her. And it's always been, um, I've, I always go back to that series and there's so many photographs of her that I'm drawn to. Um, and, and the way the use of her body in those photographs is you know, very different across the series. And that's the connection to my work because I'm interested in the, both the modern photograph and the woman's body. And this is one reason why we're so excited to pair you two in conversation today because the connections between the two of you are so vast. I feel like as I was researching for this talk and this interview, I it was just writing down thing after thing after thing of like how many ways I think your minds overlap. But the most obvious one is this work that you're making that's unpacking histories and specifically the history of modernism. So I'm glad you brought up modernism early on. I would love to hear both of your thoughts on why this specific point in history is of interest to you and how you began making that work about modernism. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I could say that going through different epochs of art history and history in general, as a young artist, I kind of avoided modernism until a point maybe 15 or 20 years ago when it, it, to me, it was almost like all the roads led there. And the, the modernist, uh, it, it, it felt to me like I was led into a program that, that modernism as a, um, an epoch or as a sensibility, um, it really pervades contemporary thinking and contemporary art as a, a skeleton or a structure that everything is draped upon or all the muscles and skin and everything are built from it. And, 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 and if you look at the problems with modernism or some of the complexities of modernism, um, you're going almost into the, the skeleton of what, what it means to be contemporary. So, yeah, so for me, it was uh, like that. And also my interest in architecture and how architecture relates to the body or the female body. This also came from this point of view of modernism being almost like a structure or a skeleton or a space or a sensibility, all of these things that I think it's really important to look at um, in, with a perspective from 2023 or you know, 2018 uh, to look back and to, to see things with a, a, a different point of view. And Tara, what are your thoughts on modernism? That's a huge question. <laughs> or, or why, why, I guess. <laughs> I know, sorry. No, <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I, I could answer that so many different ways. Um, I, I would say my interest in these photographs really stems from the darkroom. And the fact that I, I started making photographs in the darkroom and um, you know, I, I had a professor from a certain generation and that's all we looked at, you know, like I had no idea anything else existed. <laughs> and, you know, so, so there was a certain kind of love-hate relationship with these photographers. Um, I, I mean, my uh, practice is also very closely tied to being an educator. 
and I started teaching, you know, right out of graduate school. And in terms of thinking about the history of photography and teaching photography to the next generation of artists, it was hard kind of not, not to start here. You know, it was, it was, it was, I feel like this is a really important history and um, it's one that should be challenged. And I, I like the way um, that Shannon phrased it in sort of this idea of the skeleton and these questions about modernity um, that come through in the works of these canonical figures are questions that I think are raised again and again with each successive generation. And mm -hmm. that's why I'm interested in, um, in these photographs. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe I can ask something, Tara, about modernism with respect to this, this choice and also something that's really important for your work, but also mine is when we when we come from modernism um, or we look at modernism, it's it's almost like a very accepted viewpoint. And I think that yes, I think that what you what you're interested in, also what I'm very interested in, is, is the point of view and gaze. The point of view to me is very important. But maybe maybe you could say something about um, gaze and point of view with regards to Callahan. Well, I think that Eleanor was really his most regular subject. And I feel like when a photographer comes back to a subject again and again, and especially because this is his wife, mm -hmm. that you see, you see Eleanor in all of these sort of, his point of view is one of, you know, husband, photographer, and this is this is sort of like I'm also thinking about like what how does the idea later on sort of of the male gaze like fit into this? Um, yeah. Does it you know like that? Actually, I am questioning that here as well. Um, we see Eleanor as an object of desire, but we also see her pregnant body. We see her mothering. We see her as an object, like in the one that I chose. Um, reminded me so much of, I just finished um, shooting. I was really looking for some 70s performance art, <laughs> Abramovic in the collection, but I couldn't find any. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I was thinking of the body as the woman's body as like form. Yeah. And how in the photograph that I chose with the leg kind of in that triangular position and the box of the, what is that a radiator? I think it's a, a uh, heater um, becomes a square and there's this kind of flattening of the plane um, you know but but I it's hard for me to sort of extract this from the suite of images because yeah. I I think of I don't think of these I mean this is a fantastic singular image but in terms of a series you know, like when we think about um, the singular image versus what unfolds over a lifetime or over a series yeah. of images, I, I, I can't sort of think of this image without the other ones in my mind because I know them so well. Okay. So I, it's hard for me to, to sort of think of this outside that. But, but what's happening here is, um, like I said, that the woman's body becomes form. There's this sort of triangular um, mm -hmm you know, shape of the leg against the box of the, what do you call those teeters? The radiator. Radiator, right? Yes. So, you know, that becomes, and I'm talking about this sort of flattening of this, this space as well. And just this huge expanse of white around the figure, which is also, you know, it sort of almost looks overexposed, you know, the, the, yeah. the body becomes even whiter than it is. And it, it does seem like us, he's treating it like the, like a painting. Like it's, it does seem very, um, or performative. Like to me, it yes, looks like, and this very performative. Yeah. Yeah. It, it almost looks like when some of the Eleanor paintings that she has a range of, uh, performativity, his gaze kind of opens up a door where right. Eleanor is right. also yeah. performative right. And, right. and the pictures right. have something that remind me of, you know, stills from Yvonne Rainer or like early um, right. Marina, they have something of performance. Yes, I mean, this is why I chose this one. Yeah, uh, You yeah, know, what's yeah. so funny is I just finished shooting um, 
a series of new work, uh, like beginnings of new work after Valley Exports body configurations. Mm -hmm. So I'm very much thinking about the body as form, the body in a space, like the woman's body in a space where I use my body as as form and in the yeah. in that series like valley export is kind of wrapped around these architectural structures in the streets of uh, vienna and amazing. so this yeah so this kind of reminded me of um the kinds of poses the kinds of performances that happen in the street and exactly how eleanor yes yes and and it is sort of like to me reminiscent of the 70s um performance artists um which is I interesting also, because it's 1949 Carrie Hallahan photograph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is something that, that happens often, though, with modernist artists is they they predate themselves. That they they do something, and you can see that it that it's it's actually connected to something that happens in the future, which is can yes. be really amazing. Or I mean, or we project that onto them, um, but it's it's not what we think it is. I, I hope that this is the beginning of a very long friendship with you too, because it's very, it's very exciting to hear you both kind of geek out on these these things that your brains <laughs> ponder all the time. So I, I'm continuing that idea of the gaze. I had a question down about that and also sort of like, we know Tara's work from at the MOCP right now, we have the Masters of Photography series where she's restaging Edward Weston's nude images that he made in the 20s and 30s with her own body. And you say something in that statement about how you're you're looking at the ideal of white female beauty central to his work and its historical appreciation. And mm -hmm. Shannon's work, I also see like this, that, that ide ideal female beauty come out with like the mannequins and how you make the mannequins into these buildings and how we've kind of built capitalism around this ideal of beauty as well with like the fashion industry. So I see a lot of overlap there too. And I would love to hear you both kind of talk a little bit more about your work as it's centered in sort of the gaze on women's bodies and how your work tries to subvert that. So basically keep talking about what you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing, I'm playing podcast chicken with Tara. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can I can just say uh, this is also like a huge can of worms with, yes, with, yes. <laughs> with what we idealize and unpack in the working process. If you're talking about the the mannequin series where I'm looking at I'm looking at fashion exhibitions and the portrayal of the portrayal of the body through idealized forms like the mannequin, which to me is really connected to Gothic art or um, like idealized women um, in like Brancus or really early modernism. The criticality is very clear that I, I may, I'm critiquing capitalism and I'm critiquing the male gaze. And, and I, I replaced the, the body with architecture uh, that corresponds to the space of, of the, the exhibition. You can see for artists that it's much easier for us to speak about other people's work than our own work. <laughs> but anyways, what I wanted to say is, uh, before I get into a huge monologue about this work, is that I, I'm I'm critical of the the structures of capitalism that that form a seduction gaze, but also I, I'm also complicit in this gaze, and and I also in the negativity or the things that I'm critical about, I'm also very attracted to, and I also yes. am very drawn to. Yes. So it's it's not a it's not a thesis of yeah this is bad and I'm doing this work to point things out. It's more like well yeah I do I do really love the way that these things are reflected, and the way these things play out together. And I'm really like my body and my whole being is is like in this space. And this transport, this transportation of myself is really what the work is about. And I have to say that the, the tapestries are called borderlines that have this form that we're looking at now with this corrugated steel background that reflects the figure. And then the figure being, um, being replaced by architecture. And I called them borderlines um, based on uh, borderline personality disorder uh, and, and this, this dissolving of um, like this liminal space that's made by a figure who 
erases their personality or, or cannot have a cohesive core. So things are always in fluctuation. And, and that's from my, my personal, like a personal family experience of a very important person in my family who um, where I was ne never able to have this close relationship and, and always the desire is being reflected or um, transported or shifted somewhere else. So a lot of the work comes from this, this space of my emotional being that gets transported into um, into materials. And, and I think that that's something that I saw also, I mean, I, I don't want to project my sensibility onto Tara, but when I look at, when I look at your um, stagings, like it, the, 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 you're, you're using yourself, which I, I always admire people who can do that. It's, 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 so first there's this huge risk taken and in, in using yourself as a subject material, but that also must have this multiplicity of, uh, I don't even want to say intentions or desires or, I mean, things that we can't even talk about. These are, these are things that we, when we make art, we don't know what we're doing sometimes. And we, we, maybe you could say a little bit about what yeah. that's like for you. Where did we begin? I, I mean, there's so much to say. I, I think, um, one of the things that you said that really resonated with me is that we're both interested, not just in critique, right? But there's mm -hmm. also this way that the work is homage. You know, it's like homage yeah. and critique. Exactly. Existing at, yeah, existing at once. And I think it is the ways in which, in, in, in my case, that we've inherited this history and that it lives, when I think about, um, you know, because I think we opened the question with kind of like white standards of beauty and this idea of, um, and I, I don't think it's such a conscious thing, you know, I, I think it's mm -hmm. just, it's more that we're kind of, when I say inherited histories, I mean, the histories that kind of live um, within our bodies. And I do feel like yeah. when I'm working, I'm carrying with me sort of this huge weight of the canon, but it's, it's within me. It's just, it, it is. So, I, I think the Western work, yeah, I mean, I do think of it as brave work because I I never was completely nude in my work, you know, I, I mm -hmm. but I was interested in, I didn't start with Weston. I went to the library and I was thinking about this most cliche <laughs> figure, the woman's nude body within the history of photography. And I just got all right. of these books out and I, you know, I, was just, I think I checked out like 50 or 60 books and I lugged them to the studio and they were just spread on the floor all around. And I just lock, I mean, I literally just locked myself in a room for two weeks. It, like a lot of people think that the work started with like, Weston and researching Weston. And really it was much more of a kind of visual, intuitive, kind of fun exercise, like in the studio by myself, like taking off yeah. my clothes and using this large format camera. Yeah. And, and you know what it's like to use this large format camera is to be forced to work slowly and mm -hmm. to, um, I'm, I'm having to use mirrors and, you know, check my focus. I'm I have all these really raw materials in my studio, like um, the wood, the plywood and the stone. And I was like, oh, I need one more object. Let me put my robe on and go outside. I grab a rock, I come back, you know, and, and all of that, like the kind of genesis of the, how, how was this work? It wasn't, it wasn't reading about Weston and I'm no. not an I'm not an academic, you know, I'm not, yeah. I don't, I'm not researching. I mean, I'm not, in the library researching like an academic. I'm more, uh, you know, responding to images very visually. And, and I, yeah. I trust that this, the histories that I've studied for so long are just within me. And I'm, so what came out um, was very much like a performance. I feel like what happened in the studio when I made the Western work was a performance unfolding for the camera. And, right. and then like later, it wasn't until I was editing that I was like, oh, something really special happened. But th this is what I, when we're talking about the, I was trying to talk about the complexity of, of looking at modernism in 2023 or 2018. Yeah, yeah. 
is that we have more bags, but that means we have more materials. And this is what's so interesting about this body of work. I think when I, especially when I'm looking at it now and hearing you speak, I can see that you have the performativity, but it's not a, it's not performativity as it would have been in 1980 with Anna Mendieta or something. Right, like, right, oh, right. This is me in the rock. And then someone documents your, you're documenting a moment where you have, where you're, where you have the idea of a performance, but you have the idea mm-hmm. of, a, of the idea of a performance as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. There's a, different, there's a different formal unfolding that happens. And then we have, we have kind of like modernist um, visual baits that are really yes. cool yes. where you have, you know, you have like the haptic of something co- being kind of ramshackle come together, but then the foot is exactly matching the, yeah. this satisfying <laughs> And then always you you have the you can see the trigger cable, mm-hmm. so it's clear that that the system is revealed, which is very postmodern, right? And it's um, also just like the the Western photographs are in a book, mm-hmm. and for me that's really important. Um, that that it's almost like these became how tos, like exactly instru- instructional. Um, kind of instructions for how to uh perform you know yeah so yeah so it becomes also like a diy but it's super sophisticated like it's very beautiful because of the quality of the craft that you have so yeah it's, I, I see the works as very contemporary for all, the, all of this complexities i love what you're saying about the the instruction manual too because that's something that I think is really interesting about your work too, Shannon, about Le Corbusier, like he also had mm-hmm. manifestos and, you know, like was like, this yeah. is, this is what everything should look like. It's my vision, guys. Everybody should understand that I'm going to make everything better for you. It kind of, again, connects to those ideals of just modernism too, of being like uh, so certain and so rigid. And um, the works that we have on view with MOCP right now, I'm thinking of the bombshell series where you've taken- yeah the postcards that are similar to the ones that he was known to collect that were like erotic kind of orientalist yeah. postcards of women. And then you've photogrammed, overlaid them with his plans for the city of Algiers to completely modernize it, which then speaks again to that gaze, but in this gaze in this very like tactile material way of actually like changing an entire city to be the vision of this one architect. <laughs> so I love connecting it to these books and like even the instruction on Ansel Adams with like how to make the perfect print you know I hadn't really thought of that connection of the manuals but but speaking about that like rigidity I think what's also so interesting about both of your work is that of course you're thinking about the body and the female body in contrast to that like very like harsh like (laughs) hard-edged version of modernism Um, but something else that I think Shannon you talk a lot about is like the psychological part of that rigidity and sort of like the the psychology behind modernism, but also sort of um, those relationships of like power structures. And mm-hmm. uh, you also, I think, have talked about that a little bit with your post series about how it's also about how we link women's body, women's feelings to their body forms. So I was hoping you right. both could also dive in a little bit about your thoughts on like psychology a little bit and sort of the, the psychological manipulation that is, seems to be a part of both of your practices. Mm-hmm. This is another huge can of worms <laughs> because psychology is a, essentially a modernist construct. Yes. So the idea, well, especially the idea of the ideas of psychoanalysis. So mm-hmm. Psychoanalysis is like a pillar of modernism, I think. That being said, um, it's also a huge uh, open door with with the with all of its own problems and problematic problematic uh, facets and ideas, it does allow for a, a huge range of, of new thinking and, and a new openness. So for me, I worked with I worked with themes of psychoanalysis in a huge body of work. This was earlier work. But this was also piggybacking on doing, I actually did a psychoanalysis in Germany because it's paid for by the government. The state health insurance will cover 300 hours of analysis. So I was doing that and and I was, my, my artistic work started to mirror the analysis work. They kind of came together in a way. 
And at that time, um, again, it became very little about reading um, and very little about thinking and much more about the practice of, of trying to fine tune defense mechanisms or, or getting in, in different contact with your unconscious and getting in closer contact with your unconscious. And, and that's something that I was looking at with regards to the surrealist movement and also the problems with the surrealist movement yes. and, and the use of uh, like artifacts and the use of um, othering, which was, which was one of the biggest facets of um, surrealism. And that also links to the bong shells that, that part of the architectural, you know, urban planning was a lot to do with othering. But I guess I was looking. I was looking at psychology from the time I was studying um, in Germany. I, I started to read Freud's case studies um, when I was a student, and and look at look at ideas of the unconscious. Or I, I'm yeah, looking at looking at these these things that these terrifying aspects of ourselves that we're afraid to face, and. This is from Museum Weisbrock in a, in a museum show in Germany. The work on the back wall is called uh, The Plains Gatherer. So it's, a, it's from Vogue magazine. It's like the 1930s where they had these kind of asparagus mannequins that look, you know, it was this really um, flapper aesthetic mm. where, where women were really... Um, really androgynous and skinny and this woman's really slumped in a chair but she also has the same hairstyle as my analyst had <laughs> she used to wear these two like princess leia buns and <laughs> i made a lot of works that reference nadia who was my analyst at the time and in in a way i was so this work it's a it's a woven tapestry and it has um an art deco carpet on the on top of the figure uh that's that's like a veil that has some transparency and then there's embroidery in it so there's a kind of breakdown of the space and the space is a psychoanalytic space where you have a room that has a lot of artifacts a lot of different uh, different things from different cultures that are meant to activate your unconscious as freud had as the big um forerunner of uh, activating people's unconsciousness in space. And you can see you can see in the Freud Museum how he arranged his space with tons of different um, figures and textiles and really specific carpets. And he used to play with the artifacts while he was in analysis. So yeah, so I was I was taking the 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 things in the space and putting them into the figures. So with this transfer of object and figure, it took me into this dissociative space that I was experiencing. So that's for me the work of psychology really has to do with dissociation, um, subjectivity shifting, um, and and this comes through for me a really intensive uh, engagement with materials. So then the materials start to, they start to speak for themselves or they start to speak or reveal another story uh, outside, of, outside of my personal realm. I don't even know where to start. I, I, I think one of the things that's resonating with me is just this idea of psychology, psychoanalysis, Freudian interpretation, all of these ideas as connected to surrealism, but also as a construct that comes very much from the Western canon. And mm -hmm. I think, um, I mean, I'm in, it's hard for me not to talk about like the work I have up right now in Cologne at my gallery in Cologne, um, which I spent about five years just um, writing down my dreams. I mean, I, I'm interested in this idea of automatic writing and sort of like daily ritual, but I'm thinking of it as much more connected to like all of these ways of knowing that I don't have access to. I mean, I, I'm, I'm indigenous and I feel like I've been cut off from these other ways of knowing. And one of the ways that I think that um, this idea of, for instance, 
dreaming in terms of, I want to say, Freudian dream interpretation, right, or accessing the subconscious mind. Like, I'm, I wasn't so interested in that as I was in thinking about how, you know, other cultures think of dreams and how dreams belong to the community and they belong to the land. And mm -hmm. how, how can I access that? How can I sort of work against these um, thinking of dreams is that they belong to me. When I think about how American that idea is in terms of like um, the industry of self-care, I'm also thinking of that. But to go on, that's a whole other can of worms. But I, I to get back to sort of like this idea of dream writing, accessing other ways of knowing. Um, when I was doing these sort of this writing, I think what happened was it, it's a different kind of brain do you know what I mean? Like, I do think yeah. that there is a way that um, I had to sort of free my mind of um, all of the things that your, your mind is just occupied. You, you can't remember your dreams if you're just like cluttered. So it took a really long time to sort of get into the sort of habit or the ritual of dream writing. And it changed my body, like it changed my physical body and the way that I was able to remember and access this kind of these kinds of memories. And so in terms of like, I mean, taking it back to what the original question psychology, I think I am in the in this particular work where I'm sort of thinking about not human non-being like other other kinds of beings other than human beings mm -hmm. right so I'm, I'm using the rocks that I also use in the western work to sort of access um, memories that may be imagined or real or somehow sit between those two and the act of writing and mark making or direct contact is important in that work and I think this is you know, loosely related to this, this history of, of um, psychology, psychoanalysis. Um, but again, it's sort of thinking of it more through this idea of like eco-poetics and, mm. um, and sort of what, what are kinds of other ways that we can access knowledge. Yeah, I think that maybe a super interesting point because we talk about the, like the, an idea of psychoanalysis or an idea of psychology, but really I think it, it comes down to the making of artwork and we can read it through a psychological lens, but it's really the how, cause I see how you're engaging with the process of writing, uh, writing dreams, and then, and then something happens with a material process that you can link into it. And that has its own complete concentration or, or through this concentration for me it's it's very much about trial and error so I say that I made this work and it references this and it but the re, the way that I make the work is is much through um like looking at things like when you talk about taking home all of these books I went to the fashion uh library in Berlin it's the biggest fashion library um in Europe and I don't really take anything out like with intention. I just start like grabbing things and looking and I just look and look and search and search and search. And then I find something and bingo. And I don't even know why I find it or what it is, but I just trust what I find. And when I'm putting, when I'm making a work, I usually put two things together that shouldn't fit. Like in the bombshells, the architectural plans and the- Right, right orientalist postcards and I don't just say like oh I'm going to put these two things together like you're making uh, some soup or something it's more like a, a long process of having maybe you have the two things in your studio like you have the the rock Tara which is like a talisman mm -hmm. or a, a grounding force or something that represents something more universal than the modernist me or the individual and 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 you and and at some point for, for me, you have these things going and, and I'm always looking or I'll be on the train and I'll be like sifting through images. Yes, yeah. Sift, sift. And then something just goes ping and, and, and it makes a click. Like when you tune a guitar and it's like, oh, it's in tune. And then, and then you go with that. So I think the psychology, if you can call it psychology, 
it's it's something about processes for me the processes they might be very psychological or, or yes. ritualistic, but the process is really so important and it's what the work is really fed from and where it's born and that leads so well into like a question that I had uh, that I've I have to ask about both of your material choices and it sounds like you're already kind of answering it that it's a very intuitive process but something that I think is so interesting in this this revisiting of histories and, and all of the threads that are going on in your works is that you take something from an original source and then it kind of gets translated in all these different ways so like <laughs> Shannon you'll have a photograph of you know a Mies van der Rohe building and then Mm -hmm. you alter it in Photoshop and then you print it on a tapestry and then you're hand stitching on top of the tapestry. And there's kind of this, like this dance between digital and analog. And then I know Tara, you've, you've talked about specifically the analog being really important to you with photography and, mm -hmm. and maybe not so much the digital, but it's this transference of performance and the body there, you see your feet print, you know, on the cyanotype. And I was just wondering if you could both elaborate a little bit on how you negotiate the material choices with the concept and is that entirely intuitive or is it really research-based? I would love to hear more about that. Well, I, I'm really promiscuous with materials because I, <laughs> I've worked with um, a lot with textiles, uh, but also photography, but painting, I'm also working with painting, but I also was working with glass blowing and painting and metal. Um, but for me, the the idea is often connected to an idea about a material, or I work with stone also, um, and and I don't I don't limit and say no, Shannon, you're you know you should work with, only with tapestries this year. It's I'll have an idea um, based on an experience I have of seeing something and wanting to. Um, I can give an example like the the marble benches, which refer to benches that I saw in Piazzale Michelangelo in Italy. So I, I was living in Florence and I would take my son to uh, his preschool every day on my bike on like a super grueling bike ride. And we'd always have a break in this piazza that had all of these like decrepit marble benches that were covered in graffiti. And I, I realized, oh, I want to, this, this became more important to me, this graffiti, than all of the marble sculptures that I was seeing, because it, I also had a really bad case of Stendhal syndrome when I was living in Italy. I was there on a fellowship in 2013, but my husband had had the same fellowship four years before. So we so I, I got to go there twice and he kind of hated it there and I really loved it there. And I I was just completely overwhelmed by all of the things that I could see all of the time. But then there's this idea of mastery that is so taken for granted and it's so connected with tourism that you know you go and you see the David and and the Duomo and and let's go to the Piazza Pitti and blah blah. And then I became obsessed with these benches where people who were in Florence would just sit on them and carve their names into them or a little drawing of like a pig person or, or, <laughs> you know, or a heart. And I was like, okay, this is another reading of a material. This is an un unconscious or it's the shadow of the material that people also make work with marble that's based on that they're looking at the Renaissance. They're looking from Piazzale Michelangelo out onto the city of Florence with all this beautiful uh, architecture and they're choosing to just turn back and carve their name in marble. And so that idea was so exciting for me that I thought, thought okay, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a work about it, but I'd never worked with stone. But for me, it's always exciting to, to just say, okay, I'm gonna go make a stone sculpture. And then I have to go through the problems and the struggles and the, have the, the learning curve with material. And for me, if I don't know what I'm doing, it's often, it, it's, it's super exciting if a work really stresses me out and I, and I have to mm. face it as a beginner in a way. So I, I, I was lucky to find a stone workshop where the, some guys working there said, we'll, we'll teach you how to carve and you can use our tools. Mm. And I just made like a, 
a fund at the coffee bar where I paid for their espresso for like a couple of weeks and then they taught <laughs> me about the stone but it, for me the the experience or whatever I want to communicate is guided by the material so um yeah it's it's kind of it, it's I guess it's not research, but I'll I'll get it in my mind that I want to do something mm -hmm. and then I have to research how to do it. And then and then I the research of the material itself is kind of something like Tara mentioned that we we embody this information about the art canon as artists. It's something you gather this information and you you change and the and you you have different readings of it, but you you go to Florence. You know, after being an artist for 16 or 17 years, and you're like, oh God, these benches are way more interesting than going back to the academia and seeing David. Like these benches are where it's at. And then and then you uncover a new layer that's more about urban planning, more about the benches were built at the um turn of the 20th century when or when when tourism was becoming extremely important in the grand tour of Europe. And it's it's about they're about consumption, about consuming the Renaissance. It's the the Renaissance is long over. It, it's like mm -hmm. the the radiation of the Renaissance. <laughs> so those things, yeah, that's I guess that's what I would say about material choices. I guess I want I, I want to talk about the cyanotypes. I think the cyanotypes really came from, I mean, I when I'm hearing Shannon talk, I'm hearing a lot of my material choices also just comes from experience from life experience from you know I, I why cyanotype why the cyanotype I was uh the series is called Aini offerings from my sister and it's it's kind of a literal title I mean I Aini means balance in Quechua and my sister I think uh, about 10 years ago, taught me this ceremony in which it's called a despacho. And she was unfolding this white paper and putting it on the ground and then gathering uh, plants and food and arranging them on the white paper and making these kind of offerings to Mother Earth. Um, sort of to think about setting our relationship right to to nature, right? So, uh, and and this was I was making this work at a time when you know I live in I, I live I just moved but I lived in California for ten years, and we had this and and there still is this this there's a lot of rain there now, <laughs> but there was a drought for ten years and every you know there's fire season right so there would be ashes falling from the sky and you couldn't go outside as I lived in the desert so it's 110 degrees outside ashes falling from the sky you can't breathe and I was thinking about this ritual of setting our relationship right to mother earth and what kinds of rituals um, can be done during this time right I, I, I was just thinking about that and my sister and this, these fires that were raging in the backyard. And, and I thought this was such a beautiful ritual and it reminded me so much of the cyanotype and the ways that a cyanotype is such a simple process. It's, it's paper, object, sun. And you know I called this whole exhibition rock, paper, sun. And I started to think about how in my previous work, I was really thinking about like Ansel Adams and Edward Weston and these kinds of like ideas of, um, you know, these, these white men, these masters of photography, but who, who I'm really influenced by are, are more these, these women. Um, so I was thinking about Mendieta and Agnes Martin and these figures that I feel um, like Agnes Martin, I think of her in New Mexico, sort of making the shape of an egg with a single line and this idea of daily ritual. Um, and I started making these pieces specifically for uh, women and making them in the style of this kind of Quechua medit meditative offering, um, a sort of like prayer. And I thought, 
when I was standing on the cyanotype as sort of like making these exposures in this extreme heat. Um, so the exposures would be like anywhere from nine to 15 minutes when you're standing there in the sun and I would be sweating. And I just thought, what, these were kind of like endurance performances, but also offerings, but also kind of an homage to my sister, my literal sister, but also these women who I felt very much influenced my practice. And so the pieces became like sort of performance, meditations, prayers, um, you know, to these women. And so the, the piece um, for Aguilar, on the left sort of mimics the way that her in her photographs, she's always seen like against these boulders in the desert. And then um, the ones that are after Mendieta are done, they take a really long time. They, they take, I think like 24 hours to make. And you can see a video of me sort of making the gesture I wanted to mimic the gesture of body tracks, which if you look at Mendieta when she's making the work, she's kneeling and sort of, um, you know, her arms go up in a kind of V shape and then she bends down. And so I just kept repeating that gesture on top of the cyanotype. And I don't know, like by repetition and by I meditation, time, I feel you know, like out came so this more series. About, <laughs> you know? I'm just really grateful that both of you um, were here today and that, that that you both got to meet one another. Is this your first time meeting each other? Yeah. Um, yes. Awesome. Yeah. I hope you continue to be in dialogue because it's just really, I think, magical being a part of this conversation. So thank you. Thank you for being in you're displaying your work thank at the you, MOCP and thank yeah thank you so much for, for uh, bringing us here and this great program thank you for listening to focal point focal point is presented by the museum of contemporary photography at columbia college chicago in partnership with wcrx radio special thanks to producers matt cunningham and shelby Steele. music is by zavi to see the images we discussed today, please visit mocp.org backslash focal point. You can also follow the Museum of Contemporary Photography on Facebook and Instagram at mocpchi, that's m-o-c-p-c-h-i, and on Twitter at mocp underscore Chicago. If you enjoyed our show, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Focal Point anywhere you get your podcasts.